days there were ended, and we departed and went on our journey, and they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship, and they returned home. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemaeus, and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, and coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet in his hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him to the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am not for I am ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, Let the will of the Lord be done. After these days, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem, and some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, bringing us to the house of Nathan of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we took wives. This is the word of the Lord. can be seated. If you haven't already, I want to invite you to take out a Bible. Turn with me to Acts chapter 21. We are finally back to the book of Acts, and we are so thrilled to, to be able to journey back here. Uh, it's taken us a full year, but we will finish the book of Acts by the end of February, Lord willing. Um, as we've been walking through the book of Acts, we have broken it down, just as kind of a recap, we've broken it down into four sections, and what we've tried to do is break it down into the various movements of the Spirit and the Gospel in the book of Acts. Because the book of Acts is a book about the Spirit, the Spirit's work, the Spirit's movement through the church. Uh, if you remember, Acts has this beautiful and, and powerful opening scene with Jesus meeting his disciples before his ascension and, and giving them a clear but daunting mission. Take the news about me, Jesus says, who I am, what I've done, and spread it throughout Jerusalem, into Judea and Samaria, and ultimately to the ends of the earth. And so these first disciples, they were commissioned as witnesses of the gospel. They, they were given a mission. It was clear enough. Go and tell other people about me. But the last words from Jesus before his ascension, just before he left them, is so interesting. He says, before you do anything, wait. Before you start planning, before you start going, before you start telling other people about, about me, you have to wait. to wait for the Holy Spirit. He says, wait for the Spirit to come. Then you go. And that's so important, not only for the, for the way the book of Acts is, is constructed and written by, by Dr. Luke, but it's so important for us to think about as a church. Before these early disciples who were first-hand 
eyewitnesses to the person and work of Jesus. They were, they were men and women who saw Jesus alive in all the works that he did, who saw Jesus die, who saw them take his body down and bury him in a tomb, and then saw him alive afterward and then saw him ascend into heaven. It doesn't seem like those people would need much else when it comes to witnessing about who Jesus is and what he did and his saving power. And yet it's these men and women that are commanded to wait until the Holy Spirit comes. This means that the mission of the church depends not ultimately on our clever plans or on our resources. The fulfillment of the church's mission to make disciples and be Jesus' witnesses depends on the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. And we don't like to talk about the Holy Spirit much in Reformed-ish Baptist circles. We're uncomfortable talking about the Holy Spirit. We don't know what to, to do with the Holy Spirit. But the problem that we have if we're uncomfortable is we're in the book of Acts. And in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit's supernatural work and movement in the lives of people is normal. And so we, we have to we have to see it. What we've seen so far in Acts, and what we'll see through the rest of Acts uh, as, we, as we finish through, through chapter 28, and what I pray we will see in and through our church is, is very simple. As the Spirit leads, so the church goes. As the Spirit leads, so the church goes. When, when that happens, the gospel goes. And when that happens, God's mission to reach the nations is fulfilled. Now, the last time we were in Acts, it was a while ago, um, we saw Paul ending his third missionary journey with his departure from the elders of the churches in Ephesus. And he offered this really emotional farewell with a lot of important encouragement and exhortation to the Ephesian elders. Uh, uh, he did not expect to see them again because like Jesus before him, Paul had resolved himself to go to Jerusalem no matter what would meet him here in Acts 21, Luke, he gives us this really detailed travel log of, of Paul's journey back to Jerusalem, and along the way, he has some really interesting encounters. He meets multiple people who try to discourage him from completing his journey, um, and, and the reason that they did is because they knew what he would face there. It, at the end, we see, and this is why we read all the way through to verse 16, um, their, their attempts to keep Paul from Jerusalem did, did not work. Paul rejects the council, and he goes on to Jerusalem. A big theme in, in Acts 20 and Acts 21, and, and stretching back even further, is Paul has this, this obsession about getting to Jerusalem. You know, why? Why, why is he so obsessed with getting to Jerusalem? Why is he so committed to go there? And the reason it's an important question is because it is most certainly a place that will bring him pain. It's, it's a place that will almost certainly end in death because Paul has been escaping plots from, from various Jewish groups in Gentile regions. So if he goes to the hub of Judaism right here in Jerusalem as someone who is hated by the Jews and as someone who is not that popular among Jewish Christians— He's probably, the best hope he has is for a trial. 
The best hope he has, and we're going to see it actually happen, is that the Romans somehow step in and save him from the Jews. Um, why does he want to go to this place? When you think about Paul, this feels like a poor ministry decision. Paul has so much influence in the Gentile Christian world. So much influence. These churches would die for Paul. These Christians who, who received this news that they too could be welcomed into and receive the promises of God that were uh, previously held out only for the Jews, he was a hero to, to these people. Paul could have retreated into some Gentile region, ministered the gospel faithfully for the rest of his life, trained up other leaders to continue the mission elsewhere. He could have went a different way and went on to Rome, just like he wanted to do. But he didn't wanted to go to Jerusalem. Now, why would someone as gifted and powerful as Paul risk his life in a place that is certain to reject him and the gospel? There's not much hope for ministry success in Jerusalem for Paul. He was committed to go for one simple reason. He believed that's where the Spirit was leading him. And, and that sounds either just, you know, oddly supernatural, like, well, I guess Paul's just one of them weird charismatics. You know, he's just one of them weird, he's God, is that what they do over there? Wherever the Spirit, Spirit says I go, that's where I go. That's just weird. Um, or maybe Paul's just super, really naive. But this is why Paul goes to Jerusalem. The Spirit is leading him there. And there's some wonderful questions held out for us here. Why should our church continue to support the advance of the gospel to the ends of the earth? we were looking at making changes to our budget this past budget season, why didn't we just cut all of our mission budget? Save a lot of money. You know? Why, why continue that work? Why should our church continue to discover ways to witness to Jesus in a city like Tupelo that is so highly saturated with churches? Why? Why should we continue to work to lead our lost friends and our lost family members to Jesus when we've had no success or even the slightest prospect of success in the past? Why? Why should we invite our neighbors over? Why should we invite our friends into our life group? Why? One simple answer. We follow where the Spirit leads. We follow where the Spirit leads. Now we know as Christians, that the Spirit leads us as we follow Jesus. We know the Spirit leads us. The Spirit leads us as we make disciples. But how do we know when the Spirit is leading us? That's, that's the big question, right? I don't think, I don't think any of us doubt that the Spirit leads. I think a lot of us doubt whether we are rightly discerning if it's the Spirit who's leading us, if it's just our own personal desires that are taking control, and, and sometimes we wonder, what is it that the Spirit is actually leading us to do? How can we discern the will of the Lord? Um, you know, I, I wrestle probably with more than, than anything else when it comes to this topic. It, it, it has to do with the intersection of God's will and mine. Because God's will is not always aligned with my will. My will is not always aligned with 
the Lord's will, um, when I feel like I need to do something, man, how can I be sure that that's the spirit that's leading me to do this, or if it's just something that I personally really want to do? I may have told you this story before, but I had friends in, in uh, college, and man, they were the most uh, passionate people for Jesus. They loved Jesus so much. They wanted people to come to faith so much, but they had a weird relationship with the spirit. It was odd. They, uh, they would wake up, and they would just get in their car, and they did this frequently. They would get in their car, and they would just start driving, and they would ask the Spirit which way to turn. <laughs> and so they would, they, would get, they would get to an intersection. They would get somewhere. They would stop. They would, uh, you know, say, Spirit, left or right? And then they would get a sense, and then they would turn that direction. One time, uh, one of my friends, he gets in the car. He was obsessed with this, this ministry that was in Alabama. And, again, we were in Kentucky. He was obsessed with it. I mean, absolutely loved it. Always wanted to visit down there. Always wanted to be a part of what they do. And this man, I am not kidding you, he got in his car um, at midnight. And he said the Spirit directed him to the steps of that ministry. And it was just unbelievable to him. To him. He couldn't believe it, you know, that as he kept making turns, the Spirit, I was like, is Spirit your name for, like, the GPS? Like, is that, is that what's going on here? Hey, Zach, can I switch over here? But yeah, I, I was like, man, I think I think that's probably more you wanting to go to that ministry, not necessarily the spirit. And that's cool too. Like if you just want to go down there, it's like, no, 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 no. The spirit, the spirit was directing me and telling me to go. I had no part in this whatsoever. And I think we all kind of worry about that. Like if we have a sense of something that we need to do, is this the spirit or is it me? And hopefully it's both. But it isn't always the case. So how do we discern the will of God or the will of the spirit in our lives as we seek? That's the question that's posed here in Acts 21. As Paul is traveling back to Jerusalem, he meets, meets these groups of people who each have something to say about his return. Paul hears from disciples of Jesus in Tyre. He hears from a prophet named Agabus. And he hears from some of his closer friends, including Luke. But what's interesting is that although the Spirit gives an impression of what Paul is to face in Jerusalem to the disciples at Tyre, the prophet Agabus, Paul himself, there are two starkly different interpretations of what Paul should do. And really, we have three examples of Christians discerning the will of the Lord in three different ways, and only one of them got it right, and it was the Apostle Paul. Now, what was it that these other Christians got wrong? And, and what did Paul get right? What, what led some to conclude that the Jerusalem trip had to be canceled? And what led Paul to say, I'll never cancel this trip. I'm going to Jerusalem even if it means my life. What led him to do that? And what led the others to try to keep him from going? How can we be sure that we are rightly discerning the will of see, the Spirit leads the disciples at Tyre and other friends of Paul to know that Paul will face hardship in Jerusalem, and they conclude that this is a warning to keep Paul from going. They, they believe the Spirit has let them in on this news that, that Paul's going to suffer so that they can keep him from going. That's, that's what they believe. Now, their discernment 
was driven by what we're going to call man-centered discernment. All right, then consider the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul also has a clear sense that the Spirit is leading him into suffering in Jerusalem. He has a clear sense of this in Acts 20 and in Acts 21. But he decides to go anyway. And he discerns, the Spirit wants me to go. Paul's discernment was driven by mission. It was driven by something that we're going to call God-centered discernment. So this morning, the rest of our time, we're going to look at two forms of discernment and think about how we can, can uh, run from one, embrace the other, to rightly discern the Spirit's leading in our lives. Okay, so first, it's man-centered discernment. We see this in the disciples at Tyre in verse 4, and we see it in uh, Luke and, and some other friends of Paul later down here in verse 12. First, look at verse 4 with me. So Luke tells us, and having sought out the disciples, this is after they, they land um, at, at Tyre, this, uh, this place. Um, verse 4, having sought out the disciples there, we stayed for seven days. And through the Spirit, they, the disciples that were, that were there in Tyre, were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. Now, these disciples, at least Luke doesn't tell us, they don't seem to have a clear idea of what's going to happen to Paul in Jerusalem. Uh, you know, they probably had a really good sense of the hardship and the persecution that Paul had already faced. And so when they hear, you know, hey, Paul, we're so glad you're here, man. Where are you going? I'm going to Jerusalem. They probably got together, and as Paul was staying there for seven days, they just thought to themselves, that really doesn't sound like a good idea. That, that does not sound smart. And as they're, as they're deliberating together, and they're talking about, you know, Paul going to this place, and it, they're likely praying for Paul, they get a sense from the Spirit, like confirmation almost, yeah, this is going to end bad. This is going to end really badly for Paul. We need to tell him that he doesn't need to go. Um, now, while on the surface we might could say this is just an educated guess, um, that this is just affection that these, these men and women probably have for Paul, uh, Luke tells us that it is through the Spirit that, um, that they tell him this. Now, this, this counsel being Spirit-led presents a real problem. Because if what they're saying is that the Holy Spirit wills for Paul to avoid Jerusalem, and that's true, then Paul going to Jerusalem would be outright disobedience to the will of the Spirit. If, if what the disciples here in Tyre are saying, that Paul should not go to Jerusalem, is a revelation of the Holy Spirit, and Paul goes to Jerusalem anyway, then he's disobeying God. So, so on the surface, this, this verse seems... Like, either Paul's journey to Jerusalem was an act of disobedience, or the Spirit is sending mixed signals. Because Paul is only on the way to Jerusalem because he believes the Spirit is leading him there. So, so we have a potential problem here. What's, what's going on? Okay. What Luke seems to be saying to us is that, while, yes, these disciples here at Tyre... Uh, rightly discerned by the Holy Spirit that if Paul should go to Jerusalem, there would be no trouble, or there would be trouble. Um, 
on that point, they, they, they're absolutely right. They get a sense from the Spirit, Paul goes to Jerusalem, he's going to suffer. That, they're right about that. Their conclusion that Paul should not go to Jerusalem because trouble and suffering and trials await him there, that is wrong. They were right about the outcome. They drew the wrong conclusion. Okay, let's look at another example here. So, so look down to verse 12. Seven, about 70 miles down the coast of Caesarea, we, we see a, another conclusion that's drawn. In, in verse 12, um, we just read this. When we heard this, so Luke is, is putting himself back into the story here. He's, he's a part of this group. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Um, so Luke himself, these, these other disciples here at Caesarea, and, and maybe, maybe some others along, along with this party that is traveling with Paul, they are now persuaded, including the author of this book himself, they are persuaded that Paul should not go to Jerusalem. Now what led them to this conclusion? Well, this, this prophet, Agabus, shows up again. You see, we met Agabus back in Acts 11, if you, if you remember that far back. Um, Agabus, when he was in Antioch, he, he prophesied of a famine that would spread throughout the known world. And, and as a consequence uh, you know, of, that, of that prophecy being true and being fulfilled, the disciples, the churches in Antioch, took up a collection that was going to be sent to the churches in Jerusalem. And so Agabus was a proven prophet of God, someone who was well-respected. He was a prophet who spoke by the Spirit of God. And so what he does, Luke tells us here, um, he takes, and coming to us, look at verse 11, and coming to us, Agabus, took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, thus says the Holy Spirit. So this one's a little more intense. This isn't just, you know, the disciples saying, hey, you know, we kind of get a sense, you know, through the Spirit, we believe this is going to happen, you know, we don't think you should go. This is different. This is Agabus, a proven prophet who comes and he says, the Holy Spirit says this. This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And that is so chilling. Can you imagine? Can you imagine someone coming up to you and being like, hey, can I borrow your belt for a second? And then just like wrapping his own hands up and you're just like, what is up with this dude? What is he doing? And he's like, hey, whoever owns this belt is going to be bound up like this in the next city that he goes. That is chilling. Like, that is next level. That's not just, hey, man, look, the Lord has given me um, a vision, and I see that you're going to suffer in this next land. That is a visual demonstration of what's going to happen. That is so powerful. Well, word of this prophecy um, spread. And when Paul's friends hear it, they conclude that Paul should not go to Jerusalem. And so here's what we have. We have the Spirit leading the disciples at Tyre and Paul's friends to know that Paul would face suffering in Jerusalem. And they were right about that outcome. But both of these groups discerned that this meant the Spirit did not want him to go to Jerusalem. And that was the wrong conclusion. That is not what the Spirit wanted. So they tell Paul, because trouble awaits you, because suffering awaits you, because potential death awaits you, you should not go. They discern the will of God as being one, 
in which you should not or that you should take a course of action that would go in the opposite direction of hardship. Now this is where we pause and we ask, can I see myself in these groups? How often do we believe the Spirit is keeping us from a difficult situation simply because he has given us an awareness that difficulty is going to come. Comfort and safety are bad guides for discerning the will of God. Fear is a dangerous and bad motivator for discerning the will of God. Fear has captivated the hearts of, of these brothers and sisters. Fear. Fear of loss. Fear of hardship. Fear of pain. Fear of death. No doubt it is guided by love as well. They love Paul. They don't want to lose Paul. They, they, don't, they don't want to see Paul go through any more pain. But what's really functioning in the hearts of these well-meaning friends of Paul is a man-centered mindset that values personal gain over kingdom gain. This, this is a pattern of thought that we need to identify in ourselves and avoid in our lives because it inhibits our ability to rightly discern the will of God. If, if our own safety and our own comfort are always priorities one and two, when you are trying to discern what the Lord wants you to do in a situation and it's filtered through those man-centered mindsets or, or those, the comfort and safety or fear, you're, you're likely never going to do anything that could have a potentially difficult outcome if you're aware of the difficulty on the front end. You see, man-centered discernment naturally values personal gain, and it resists any risk of personal loss at all costs. And we see this mindset functioning here because the determining factor for whether or not Paul should go to Jerusalem was tied not to, Paul, what, what, has God, what does God expect of you here? No, it's tied to the consequences that he would face if he went. Going to Jerusalem meant risking safety. Going to Jerusalem meant risking Paul's future as a minister of the gospel. And going meant risking Paul's life. So under a man-centered mindset, going was inconceivable. You know, something similar happened in the life of Jesus. And actually, as Erica and I were talking about this passage, she's the one who, who said, it makes me think of Matthew 16. Um, in Matthew 16, Jesus, he's, he's on his way to Jerusalem to suffer and die, and he predicts his death one, one more time to the disciples. And at this point, they're sick of, they're just, can you stop with that, please? They're, they're tired of hearing about Jesus talking about dying. But he tells them again, I'm going, I'm going to die. And, and Peter, poor Peter, you know, I mean, all of them were thinking it, but Peter's the one who steps up. Peter steps up and, and he rebukes Jesus. He forbids him from taking such a path. Do, do not go to that city. Do not go into Jerusalem. You are not going to die. Stop talking like that. Are you crazy? I will die for you before I will let you die. And Peter meant well, but do you remember what Jesus said back to him? 
I know you do. I'm not, I don't mean when he called him Satan. <laughs> that's what y'all. That's what y'all thinking about. He said, "Get behind me, Satan!" Like that. <laughs> he had just applauded Peter because Peter confessed him as the Messiah, and he's like, "Jesus, you are the Messiah." And like five verses later, Jesus is like, "Yeah, and you're Satan." <laughs> you know, it's so great. Um, but he does. He turns to him and he says, "Get behind me, Satan!" But that's not what we need to remember from that passage. What Jesus told him after that is so much more important. He said, you are not setting your mind on the things of God. You're setting your mind on the things of man. You see the same, the same frameworks playing out right here in Acts 21. And the same thing happens to us when we try to discern what the Spirit is leading us to do. We negatively do not set our minds on the things of God, his promises, his character, his presence, his power, and his purposes. And instead, we positively set our minds on the things of man, our fears, our limitations, our safety, our comfort. When our minds are focused or set on the things of man, we will fail to rightly discern the will of God every time. Every time. Risk will never make sense to us. It won't make sense to sacrifice for the good of others. It won't make sense to selflessly serve others. It won't make sense to follow the Lord into uncomfortable or even dangerous places. Man-centered discernment leads us to the conclusion that if an action requires risk of safety or comfort, the Spirit isn't leading us to do it. And if, if a man-centered mindset drives our discernment of the Spirit's will, we will resolve that the Spirit will never lead us to be uncomfortable, never lead us into suffering, never lead us into hardship, and never lead us into danger. And in a fallen world, that means that we will most likely just coast along in the Christian life and most likely spend our entire lives doing nothing in the name of Jesus. This is a man-centered um, discernment. But secondly, thankfully, we have a positive example here. God-centered discernment. And we see it in Paul. Paul's conclusion is very, very different from these others. They have the same facts. They've heard the same prophecies. I mean, it's Paul's belt, for crying out loud. But they reach opposite conclusions. Look what he says back to his friends who say, Hey, we heard what Agabus said. Don't go. Look what he says back to them in verse 13. He kind of he kind of gets has a little Jesus moment with Peter here. He says, "What are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart. For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus." And then look at verse 14. And since he would not be persuaded, they kept going. They kept trying to reach him. They kept trying, trying to convince him, to persuade him that he needed to stop this. They ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. This is God-centered or kingdom-centered discernment. 
Paul has set his mind on the things of God. The consequences that he may face in Jerusalem are, are completely irrelevant to him. Um, you know, you know that you are rightly discerning the will of God when the possible outcomes, whatever they may be, are irrelevant. It's like, well, that may be hard. Oh, I hadn't even really considered it. Yeah, I guess it will be hard. All I know is this is what the Lord is calling me to do. Um, I, if you remember, back in Acts 20, Paul gives us a really clear summation of what God-centered discernment looks like, uh, setting your mind on the things of God. He said in Acts 20, verses 22 and 24, And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem. And why is he going? He says, I'm constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Listen, this is the radical God-centered mindset that leads us to fulfill the mission of God in our church and in our lives. Who can stop such a person? Who can stop such a person who is so radically committed to following the leading of the Spirit, whatever the consequences may be? Who, who can stop a group of people who aren't afraid of death? Who, who aren't afraid of any level of opposition from any person that you may meet in your life? And we're scared to invite our neighbors over to have a possibly awkward conversation about Jesus. Listen, we can't be stopped when we are setting our mind on the things of God, when you are discerning the will of the Spirit with a God-centered mindset. Paul did not even count his life as valuable as the mission that God gave him. You see, Paul's discernment that the Spirit wanted him in Jerusalem was driven by the mission of God, and it's highlighted by two tasks that he fulfills while he's there. First is his calling to, to continue to spread the gospel. We're going to see Paul in Jerusalem, and he testifies to the, the gospel in front of all kinds of different people, Jews and Romans. But there's a second thing functioning here. Paul is going to Jerusalem because he's taking money. You see, these, these churches, these Gentile churches had taken up a collection that they were going to send to the suffering Jerusalem churches. And Paul wanted to take it personally because not only did he care about the suffering churches, he cared about the unity between Gentile and Jewish Christians. And so he wanted to take that gift personally. And even though he knew he would probably suffer at the hands of the very people he was going to help, he was going to help them anyway. And why? Because the Spirit was leading him to do it. This is so instructive for us. Listen, when the Lord calls you to do something that either advances the gospel or advances the good of other people, no amount of hardship or suffering or discomfort is enough to keep you from following through with it. When you really believe, hey, listen, I, I you know, I, Let's, just a simple, simple example. You get home one day, 
You get out of your car unexpectedly. You do see one of your neighbors. You know your neighbor's unchurched. You know your neighbor may not believe in Jesus. And you just have a casual relationship with him. But when you see them, you don't just walk inside. A thought enters your mind. I should, I should probably ask them over and invite their family over for dinner. Listen, I know you're a smart person, but we believe the Spirit indwells us. That's probably the Spirit prompting you. That's probably the Spirit prompting you to invite this person over. And so you decide, okay, hey, I think it'd be a good idea to invite them over. And as you start to think about it in your head, you think about all of the obstacles. Well, you know, we'd have to really work on the house. Um, we don't know them that well. It could get awkward. If a conversation does start to go toward church or toward Jesus and they don't receive it well, how awkward is it going to be to see them out? They're my neighbor. And, and you start coming up with all these reasons, and it's comfort, and it's safety, and it's fear, and that's the filter. And your mind is set on the things of man and your inadequacies and, and, and your limitations, and you're not focused on the things of God and his promises and his power and his, his, his presence and purposes. Listen, do not allow fear of rejection keep you from doing something that advances the gospel or the good of others. Don't allow your fear of loss or, or the fear of, of risking too much safety keep you from advancing the gospel or the good of others. When the mission of God drives your discernment, you will create space in your heart that will be open to the Spirit leading you into places and to people that you would otherwise naturally avoid. But by going, you will glorify God in ways that would otherwise be impossible. So the reason that Paul goes to Jerusalem is obvious. He believes this is where the Spirit is leading him. Based on his God-centered mindset, focused on gospel advancement and the good of others. And, and that's a point of application for us. Follow the Spirit's lead. Period. Wherever he leads, we go. Now, discerning the will of the Spirit in your life isn't always easy, and it isn't always obvious, and there isn't a neat formula that I can give you to follow every single day. And, and the Spirit doesn't always lead us into hardship. And Paul didn't always run for the hardest situation possible. He escaped death, and he escaped prison all, all kinds of times in his ministry. Sometimes the path is easier, and sometimes it's more difficult. All I can do is point you toward a God-centered and kingdom-centered mindset. Set your mind on the things of God. Set your mind on his eternal purposes, his never-ceasing presence, his overcoming power, his glorious purposes. Set your mind on the mission that he has given us to make disciples who love God and others. And when you feel that the Spirit is leading you to do something, filter it through this mindset. Is this action consistent with God's word? Is it consistent with God's mission? Does it promote the good of others? And if so, then yes, the Spirit is leading. And wherever the Spirit leads, go. Even if it means facing trials. Because in the kingdom of God, even when we lose, 